Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. I really believe that the message I have this morning is straight from the heart of God. Dennis and I have been, uh, we started a series uh, a couple weeks ago called Embracing God's Embrace. And uh, as I worked on this, this week's message, um, I got some new revelation on what that means. And so I'm super excited to share that with you. You know, when we come to Christ and we, we get his spirit within us, something takes place that, uh, that indicates the fact that in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 where it talks about if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, new creature. One of the things that happens that, that evidences that is that we have a desire to change. We have a desire to be more like Jesus. We have a desire to be holy. Anyone remember experiencing that when you, you know, before you came to Christ, you could care less about or you couldn't care less about whether you were good or bad or, you know, whether you sinned or didn't sin, it was just something, sin was just something that you did kind of like breathing. But once you came to Christ, there was a sudden shift in your attitude towards sin, and you had this deep desire to be more like Jesus. Anybody experienced that when you came to Christ? I know I, 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 uh, you know, I came to Christ early, but still, as, early, as long as I can remember, there was something in me that longed to be more like Jesus, long to be less sinful, more, more uh, righteous, so to speak. It just happens. And, and that's really good because there's a, there's a desire that's put within us by the Holy Spirit to want to be transformed. The problem is that, especially in our brand of Christianity, evangelical Christianity, we approach that desire to be like Jesus in a totally wrong way. We, uh, we, we do what we call a self-improvement program. So we desire to change, so we, we're gonna cut off this habit and that habit, and we're gonna change this attitude, and we're gonna do stupid things like pray, to, pray for patience. Guys, pr- praying for patience is really, first of all, patience is a gift of the Spirit. It's a, fruit, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit being in your life, and it's something the Spirit has to cultivate in you. You don't just get patience. That has to be cultivated by the Spirit, and it's a fruit or it's a result of the Spirit being in your life. So just give that prayer up. But here's what we do. We start trying to do self-improvement. You know, there's so many books out there, uh, even Christian, especially Christian books on self-help. So let me just, I did a little study on, you know how you do word studies on things? I did a little study on self-improvement. And I discovered that it's an oxymoron. Self-improvement is an oxymoron. So I did some study on the, you know, the word, kind of dug in. So oxy means clean. You know, like oxy clean, you know, you got it in all your detergents now. And moron means idiot. So the amplified version of this is you can't clean up yourself, you idiot. That's, uh, no, I'm kidding, okay? Yeah, that was another bad joke. But it's true. 
I mean, that is actually true. We cannot change ourselves. That's not your job. That's not my job to change you, to change me. And I certainly can't change you. I can't change me. How can I change you? That is the job. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the problem. We feel like unless we do change, unless we improve ourselves, unless somehow we get better and more like Jesus, we're completely unacceptable by God. And so we go through this uh, regimen of trying to do self-improvement, trying to lop off sins and, and trying to stop bad habits and trying to have better attitudes and more patience and all this stuff, and it simply doesn't work because we can't do it. We, we just wear ourselves out. I've talked about how there's really three responses to what God has done for us in Christ. One is rebellion. We just reject it and, and we move on because, again, we think that we're supposed to change and improve ourselves, and when we can't do it, we just give up and walk away. God can never accept me the way I am, so I just might as well quit because I can't do the other side of the. So rebellion is the one choice. The other side is religion, and that's what I'm talking about. The self-improvement thing is religion. I got to be good for God. I got to get better. I got to improve myself. I got to stop sinning. I got to do all this stuff. That's religion. And that doesn't work either. That's equally as, as fruitless and bad. And, and the, the, the real way to approach this is relationship. And man, do I have some good news for you this morning. The gospel is good news. And I have some really good news about this whole thing. By the way, we just come through New Year's. And uh, the self-improvement program thing I'm talking about uh, it really plays out this time of year in what's called New Year's resolutions. Anybody still making New Year's resolutions? Come on, go ahead and so I can see a couple of hands go up. Yeah, stop doing that. I read this week that less than 10% of New Year's res resolutions are kept. Less than 10%. Do you know what that means? One out of 10 people are disciplined enough to do what they set out to do at the beginning of the year. And that's more of a personality trait than it is anything to do with Jesus or God or Christianity. So stop making those resolutions. Because again, only God can change us. But I got some really great news, and I'm gonna put it to you in a nutshell. And I'm gonna repeat this over and over again throughout this message. Only God's unconditional love can transform us, and only when we embrace that unconditionally. This sermon is about embracing God's embrace. The only thing that's going to transform you is God's unconditional love for you that has been shown to us in Christ. Now, his spirit is in us because of unconditional love. He's given. So, so let, me, let me give you a verse, and, and I believe, Seth, you have this. Uh, it's it's uh, Hebrews 10.14. Man, this is one of my favorite verses of all time. And I, I want to set this up for you. The writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to us how all that went before. So, so, so the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews. Hebrews were Jews. Jews had the sacrificial system. They were very, very um, impressed with themselves that God had chosen them to reveal himself through to the world. 
and that they had the law and they had the sacrificial system. And they still thought, even after coming to Christ, that somehow they couldn't give up their Jewishness, they couldn't give up the law, and they couldn't give up their sacrificial system because that would be really a non-Jewish thing to do. And they were proud of the fact that they were Jews. They were Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them to give all that up and embrace all that Jesus had done for them. Jesus, he says, is the end of the sacrificial system. He is the final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He said every year the priests sacrifice animals, you know, year after year after year for the, on the Day of Atonement so that our sins will be covered. And he said, but Christ came and was sacrificed once and for all, for all time to end all sacrifices. He is the sacrifice. He is the high priest. He is the mercy seat. He's the fulfillment of everything that had to do with all that old sacrificial system. And then he says this, and I love this right here. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What? He's perfected forever those who are being made holy. The root word for perfect and the root word for holy are the same word. So it's basically saying Christ has, by his sacrifice, by being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Christians, is that what it says? Nope. Takes away the sins of the world. By being, by being the sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made perfect. Or he has made holy forever those who are being made holy. Guys, here's the good news right now. This is, this is all good news, but this is, this is the piece that I want you to see this morning. Christ has made us holy. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of the universe, and it should be in your eyes too, you are now perfected in your imperfection. I know that's another oxymoron, but this one is, is good. This one's true. You have been perfected even in your imperfection. You see, I'm, I, I love that this isn't backwards. God is making us holy so that we can be made perfect. That's not what it says. Thank God. He's perfected us in Christ, in the cross, in what Jesus not only did for us, but with us and to us. He took us with himself as the last Adam to the cross, to the grave, and through to the resurrection. And now we're raised with Christ to live a new life in the spirit. And we are positionally justified by what God has done through Christ. And now he can begin the work. So let me put it this way. I'm going to refer some more to this parable because I can't get away from the parable of the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal son comes back? What condition did he come back in? Half naked, smelly, stinky, covered with pig slop. And what does his father do for him? What does he do? What's the first thing he does? Yeah, well, yeah. He hugs him and kisses him. And then what does he order? His robe, the father's best robe. The best robe in the house belonged to the father. And he puts it over this boy and covers his nakedness in his pig slop. Now, is the boy any less pig sloppy? Is he any less smelly? Is he presentable when he walks in the house? Yes, because of the robe of righteousness. 
Do you, let me just you know, be real practical here. There was a party thrown for this kid. Do you think that he went to the party with a robe over his pig slop? I think he took a bath. I think underneath that robe, some things had to change in order for him to, to go to the party. You see, we're covered in the robe of righteousness, but then the pig slop has to be dealt with, right? Now, the good news is that God's love is unconditional. We don't have to get rid of the pig slop to receive the kiss and the embrace and the robe and the ring and the sandals and, and the party. We don't have to change. You know, here, here's the thing. That boy didn't come home to really repent. Guys, we, repentance is turning away from something that we don't need or want towards a person. That's what repentance is. We turn our backs and say, I don't want to live like that anymore. Guys, that's what I'm talking about this morning when I said, do you want to change? Do you want to be transformed? We say, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to sin. I don't want to be, I don't want to be involved in those things that used to give me pleasure. Even though there's still some pleasure there, I really don't want to live that way. And we turn and we say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Father, I want to come home to your embrace. That's repentance. And then the father meets us. And, and so what that boy did was he said, man, he, so, so in the parable, let me just set this up for you. In the parable of the prodigal son, we have religion, relationship, and uh, rebellion, religion, and relationship represented in this, in this parable. The father loved his two boys unconditionally. And that's what I want to talk about this morning in a big way. The younger son chose rebellion. He didn't want anything to do with his dad. He took the money in, that his dad gave him in his early inheritance and went as far away from his father as he could, which represents rebellion and, and getting away from God. The older son chose the route of religion where he just worked his behind off, hoping that someday he could earn his father's approval and blessing. While the father, father loved his two sons without measure, the younger son went to the far country and spent all he had on, it says wild living, loose living, whatever, partying with his buddies and, you know, whatever else. And then a famine happened, and he spent all his money, famine happened, and he ended up slopping pigs for a pig farmer. Now, he was starving to death. He was half naked. He, he just was totally miserable, totally destitute. And he doesn't say, you know, I think I'm going to go back and, and apologize to my father and tell him I want to be a son again and ask him if he'll forgive me and, and restore me. That's not what he said. He said, the hired servants in my father's farm, on my father's farm, are living better than me. At least they get three squares a day and a roof over their head. I want that, so I'm going to go back to my father and see if he'll just put me back on the farm as a hired servant. That's, that's all he had in mind when he left the pig slop and headed home. But he was headed in the right direction. And the father, who loved him without condition, who was looking day after day down that road, hoping to see that boy come home, suddenly sees the figure of his boy in the distance. And he recognizes that gait, that walk, and he says, there's my boy coming home. And he takes off, and he lifts his robes, and he runs, which no, 
which no Jewish gentleman ever did, would show his ankles or, or run. And he runs to meet this boy, and he throws his arms around this boy covered in pig slop and plants a big kiss on his cheek and says, my son is home. And, and the boy starts his little, his little speech about, you know, um, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy. All that was just bullcrap to, to, get, to, to, to get a roof over his head in three squares. And his father is like, talk to the hand. Okay, go get the robe, the ring, and the sandals. I'm restoring this boy to sonship. Not because of what the son did, but because of the father's heart. Do you understand that? The boy was covered with pig slop, and his heart hadn't really changed. His heart didn't change until he realized the unconditional love of his father. That transformed that boy. I guarantee it. We don't hear that in the story. And, of course, the older son was completely insulted by the whole thing because his father would would stoop so low as to welcome this boy home unconditionally because he didn't understand unconditional love. He didn't understand the love of his father. But you know what? I believe that that the unconditional love of the father began to dawn on this boy because he had squandered his father's wealth. He had gone as far away as he could. He had come home completely unpresentable. And he was embraced and restored instantly by the unconditional love of the father. The difference at the end of the story between the, the one son and the, old, the, the younger son and the older son was the older son refused the unconditional love of the father. And the younger son embraced the father's embrace. The younger son embraced the father's embrace. You know, I, I, I often think about what was going through the mind the next morning of that, of that boy that, that came home. And he wakes up and he realizes that he's in his father's house. He's not, he's not slopping pigs and he's, he's not living in a, you know, some kind of a lean-to out there with the rest of the hired servants. He's actually in his bedroom. It's been years since he's been there. And he wakes up and he still, he kind of feels the, you know, uh, the remnants of, that, uh, of the veal he had the night before. And all of a sudden he's in touch with the fact that the father loves him. And has accepted him back and restored him to full sonship. I believe that's transformational. I really do. I believe that's transformational. I don't believe he got up that morning and said, man, I I don't know if I want to go downstairs. Maybe dad remembered what I did and he's probably still mad at me. No. I mean, he threw a stinking party for this kid like he was some kind of conquering hero. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, honestly. He comes home having squandered a third of his father's wealth, having been with these unclean animals, and he comes home just looking for a way out of poverty, and his father restores him completely as the son that left on his way as far away from his dad as he could go. And he's embraced, and he's restored. And I believe he woke up that morning and realized, my daddy loves me. And I don't think there was any any sense in this boy that he didn't want to get up and be a partner with with his father's business that morning. The older boy's out there, you know, behind the plow, grumbling and complaining because his father 
never gave him a kid to, you know, to have with his friends. And I believe that the younger son jumped up and said, Dad, how can I help? What can I do? You need some fences mended on the back 40? Man, where's the hammer? I'm on my way. I believe he wanted to serve his father, to be a part of what his father was doing. God's unconditional love will transform us, but it's only if we embrace that unconditional love unconditionally. In other words, we have to let the Father love us just like we are without cleaning up our act. And guys, that means that you have to accept yourself just like you are. We can't say, God, I will let you love me once I'm good enough, once I'm clean enough, once I've done enough self-improvement that I feel like I'm okay to let you love me. That will never work. That will never work. You have to let the Father love you right where you are right now. And here's, here's what happens in that. You have to let the Father love you by being in his presence. We can't stay in the far country and experience his love. And we can't put on masks and put on our best face and come into his presence to let, us, let him love us. You, you understand you can't love a mask. A mask can't receive love. We have to take off our pretense, we have to take off our mask. We have to take off, we can't always, you know, okay, oh, oh, I'm coming to church to worship this morning. You know, I'm so glad that we've done away with the Sunday, you know, go to meet and close. I have to put on my suit and my dress. Well, not at the same time. Uh, I won't get into the gender thing. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. And put on our best to come into the presence of God so he will like me, so he will accept me. And if I come to church without a tie, he might just not like me anymore. That is so, as my friend Dennis says, that's a bull crap. Um, man, we, we have to come to God just as we are. You know, Billy Graham, in the Billy Graham Crusades, that song that he always played when he gave the invitation just as I am, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? We come to God just as we are, with our pig slop, with our struggles, with our sins, and, and we have to be honest with him about those things if we're ever gonna change because it's only he that can change us. And if we're still hiding from him and, <clears throat> and pretending to be better than we are and putting on our best face and our Sunday best and coming into God's presence, hoping that we look good enough for him to accept us, that's never going to transform us. And we can't be transformed by hating on ourselves while God's trying to love us. So masks don't work. Self-hatred doesn't work. Self-improvement doesn't work. The only thing that works is to embrace God's embrace, to accept the fact that God loves us and to be okay with that. Does that make sense? God's unconditional love, when we get our hearts around that, when we embrace his embrace, when we embrace the fact that he loves us, that changes everything. We did, a, Dennis and I preached through this book, Principles of Spiritual Growth, and there's a quote here that I just cannot not read. It's very short. It's in the chapter on acceptance. 
And it's, if, if, if you still, if you haven't, uh, well, anyway, go back and read this if you have the book. I, we made it available to people that were here when we did this last year. But um, there's a quote here by William Newell, Newell. It says, the proper attitude of a man under grace. Listen to this. I love this. To believe and to consent to be loved, to consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. Isn't that beautiful? To consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. The great secret of what? The great secret of grace, the great secret of a right relationship with God, the great secret of transformation, the great secret of the Christian faith. Every religion in the world has to do with us trying to make ourselves right so that the deity that we serve will accept us. And we have transferred that right over to Christianity. Dennis said, I think last time he preached, that that's basically Islam. And we make Christianity into Islam by trying to prove ourselves good enough for God's love. Sucking up to the deity so he'll like us. To refuse to make resolutions and vows because that is to trust in our flesh. Yeah. See, God's not interested in a flesh improvement. In Christ, he crucified our flesh so that we might have the life of Christ living in us. See, that's the goal. But you know, until Christ is formed in us, we still have to deal with God somehow. Until Christ is formed in us, we still have to, to realize the fact that I'm not perfect. I'm not completely okay. I still struggle with impatience. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with greed. I still struggle with jealousy. I still struggle with gossip. I still struggle with, with all kinds of things that I don't like about myself. And guys, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just take all that to God and say, God, you, you know me. You see me. I can't hide from you. I'm not going to do the Adam and Eve thing. I'm not hiding in the bushes anymore. I'm going to come right into your presence, right into the light. I'm going to take all this stuff I'm struggling with. I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to ask you like a little child with a broken toy, putting it in his father's lap. I'm going to ask you to fix this. And in the meantime, I'm just going to let you love the hell out of me. And I'm going to love you in return. And I'm just going to accept your love. Oh, man, does that set you free. You will... You will go miles ahead in a short amount of time just by letting God love you just like you are. That is transformational. That will change your life. So stop making promises. Stop making vows and resolutions. Stop wearing masks. Stop trying to suck up and please God. Stop, stop. Just, just give up getting your act together and let God love you right where you're at. I want to I tell a story. Uh, first of all, let, let me do this. Seth, if you could find Romans 5 again for me. Dennis and I, have, we keep coming back to this passage, Romans 5. I love this. I'm going to drop back to one verse in Romans 4. So if we could do that. The very last verse in Romans 4 says he, and that's talking about Jesus. Jesus delivered, was delivered over to death for our sins. He was delivered over to death for our sins. 
The wages of sin is death, and he paid that. He paid for those sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification is a legal term that means that we've been justified. We have been declared not guilty in the court of heaven, and so we are no longer guilty of sin and sins. And then it says, it goes on in the, in, in, uh, the next verse then, therefore, since that has happened, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. He loves us. He's crazy about us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. In verse eight, look at this. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still perfect, no. While we were getting our act together, no. While we were wearing our nice Sunday masks, no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's when he demonstrated his love for us, while we were still sinners. We hadn't done a thing. We hadn't moved an inch towards God when this happened. This was all on him. This was the father and the son. See, the father and the son decided they wanted us in eternity. All the way back as far as they've existed, they knew that they wanted you. And they also knew the fall was coming. And so way back in eternity, they had already decided that Jesus would die for us so that we can be redeemed and, and, and have sonship and daughtership. All this was decided before the first stone of, crea- of, of creation was ever laid. Before the foundations of the universe were laid, we were in God's heart and the atonement had already been, had already been decided on. We were worth it. All that Jesus went through on that horrible cross, on that scourging, on you know, Good Friday, all that stuff that he suffered had already been settled in the heart of God before we were ever created. You and I were worth so much to him, and he wanted us so much, and he wanted to have a relationship so much that all that he knew beforehand, and he was still willing to bring us into existence. You know, the, the worth of something is determined by how much you'll pay for it. Think about how much you're worth to God, to the Father. I've said this so many times, but I would not sacrifice my daughter or my son for you. I wouldn't do it. You're not worth that much to me. I love you, but not worth her life or, or, or his life. But God so loved you and me that he gave his only son. That's That's love. That's amazing love. That's transformational love. If we'll, just, if we'll just stop pretending, if we'll just stop striving and straining and be still and know that he is God and just let him love us and, and embrace his embrace, his love will transform us. It will. Man, I, as I've gotten in touch with this this week in a new and a deeper way, I feel so loved. I feel so close to the Father. It's, it's, it's real easy to let Jesus love me. It's been a little more difficult to let the Father love me. But I feel so loved this morning, and I'm hoping that you're feeling that too. Stop hiding. Stop pretending. Stop making vows and New Year's resolutions. Just, just be who you are. 
And the Holy Spirit will transform you as you let God love you. Okay, so let me tell you a story. It's from the, uh, this book, um, Surrender to Love by David Berner. He tells a story. He's a Christian psychologist, and, and uh, he um, had a young woman come in his office, and, and uh, she was 15 years old. And uh, she had tried three times in three months to commit suicide because her boyfriend hanged himself, and she found him. And kind of like Romeo and Juliet, she made a vow that she, would, she was going to join him in his death. And so she had made three attempts of suicide, and each one got a little more severe and serious. Like she was bent on taking her life. And so she showed up in his office. Now remember, he's a Christian counselor. She showed up in his office, and she had on black makeup and and piercings, and she was wearing a dog collar with a chain that was connected to to, uh, a chain around her waist, and she had tats, and, and, and she was very, very just black from head to toe in terms of her attire. She was what they call goth. She was in her goth attire. And that, of course, is kind of a, a, a rebellious you know, kind of a lifestyle. And it's, it's a reaction to pain. And so he walked out into the, uh, into the waiting room and he said, uh, Amanda, come on back. And she didn't even acknowledge that he had spoken to her. She just got up, didn't even look at him, and and she she began to follow him back to his office. And this very well-dressed, nice-looking older woman got up and came back with him. And so they entered the office and sat down, and, and he discovered that this was Amanda's mom. And she's staring kind of blankly at this at the floor and and uh He's, you know, he's, he feels like she's a little nervous. She's a little, you know, kind of shut down. And so he says to her, Amanda, now, you know, he, he figures out this is her mom. Your mom doesn't need to be here. We can do this without her. And she, Amanda said this, my mom is my best friend. And she's here because I invited her to be here. And he was shocked. And so... He said, that's amazing. He said, you know, not a lot of 15-year-old girls say their mom is their best friend. He said, how, how is this relationship developed to the point that not only is she your best friend, but you want her in the session with you? And she said this. For as far back as I can remember, every night... I crawl into bed with my mom and she holds me and we snuggle from as far back as I can remember to last night. 15 years old. He said this young lady was into all kinds of bad stuff. She was promiscuous. She was into drugs. She was into Satanism. She was into a lot of bad stuff. And her mom obviously didn't approve of that because she was a Christian. But there was no condemnation. And every night, regardless of her lifestyle, she held her daughter in bed and snuggled with her and just poured out 
unconditional love on this girl. And it was in that context that her daughter was able to heal and eventually abandon the goth lifestyle and, and, and become healthy again. Do you see the power in unconditional love? I don't think that girl would have survived had it not been for the unconditional love of her mom. Guys, I want to say this again really clearly. God's unconditional love will transform you, but only if you embrace it unconditionally. You accept it, and you accept yourself in his presence because you can't change you. Only he can change you, and he will do that if you will let him snuggle with you and hold you and unconditionally love you for the rest of your life. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.